Hi everybody, and uh, welcome to uh, Precast. Uh, this is an anime podcast by me, uh, Pre Derva, and by. Hi, I'm John or John Baruby, uh, and I will also be, I'll be the co-host of this podcast here. Precast. Yes, and uh, <laughs> and we decided to make uh, this podcast. Um, it will be about uh, anime that we both find interesting, and specifically uh, older anime or anime that maybe people haven't taken a look at lately, or some anime that kind of goes under the radar, and also some newer anime that maybe we think people should be paying attention to. Um, just a little bit of a background on me. Um, my history is, uh, probably you might know me from Twitter. I just shout my head off all the time on Twitter at, at Preederva. But uh, also I started uh, writing uh, for a website that doesn't even exist anymore. Um, it's called, it was called... Uh, PlanetZot.com. I used to review anime for there. Then I started on my own blog. Um, and then also, I used to write for FanboyReview.net. Uh, um, and of course, uh, I mean, this is not maybe not interesting to most of our uh, listeners, but uh, it's important for maybe this podcast, this episode alone, is uh, my background in uh, like what I do in real life is uh, I do have a uh, bachelor's and a master's degree in uh, political science, and maybe that really won't come up most of the time. But I do think there's a lot of politics in this current episode that we're talking about. So I do think maybe that is a little important. And uh, as for John, I met John on Twitter, I don't know, what do you think, was it like 10 years ago, John? Oh yeah, probably about 10 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, it was when it was probably shortly after I joined Twitter. You know, I started just looking for other anime fans to talk to about anime. And uh, oh boy, those were the days, weren't they? <laughs> oh yeah, I love those days. I had so much fun. Every day, me and you going back and forth talking about what's going on. So we decided, me and John, we decided to, you know, get back to it and uh, maybe make a podcast to talk about, you know, the news, what's going on on Twitter, and, you know, review some anime and, you know, make people pay some attention to some anime and maybe some video games. And, you know, uh, John is always into the uh, musical idols and everything, so maybe he can talk, (laughs) teach us about those. Uh, so, John, do you want you mind telling the fans, the listeners, uh, about you, a little bit of background about you and your history? Yeah, sure. Uh, I first got into anime, I would say, about, around 2005, so it's been uh, a little over 15 years now. Um, mostly focused on newer stuff, obviously, because I got into anime kind of late in the game. Um, although, for most of our listeners, that might not be the case. Um, so, you know, any 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 newcomers to anime, you're more than welcome to, to, to stay here. We will be talking about new stuff in addition to old stuff. Uh, myself personally, um, I have, of course, you know, gotten uh, dabbled in old anime, um, gotten recommendations from Preed here as well as many others, and watched a lot of older anime as well. In addition to new stuff, uh, so the first thing I got actually was anime next to the convention that it was, at the time was in Secaucus, New Jersey, which uh, got me into anime. I was, a friend dragged me along. I wasn't into anime at the time. I came and watched some anime there. And next thing I knew, I was buying DVDs at at uh, Sam Goody. Oh God, that's a real. I'm really dating myself here. <laughs> but yes, it was Sam Goody. I think it was and Suncoast there, where I was buying DVDs from of uh, of Inuyasha and Dean Angel and uh, Evangelion. Oh boy, 
Anyway, uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter account is John Baruby, J-O-N-B-A-R-U-B-Y. That is a Love Life reference for anyone who didn't catch that. Yes, I am a huge <laughs> Idol fan, and especially with Love Live, but also very much Bang Dream, uh, Review Starlight, uh, and some other smaller stuff like Wake Up Girls 22-7, or Nanabu no Dijuni is the technical title, but whatever. Um, and on the side, I do a little bit of blogging. I Actually, I've done a lot of blogging in the past. Haven't done much recently because of COVID. There hasn't been much going on, but I do write... Uh, as kind of a side gig on chaos, chaoscutesoft.com. Um, again, haven't put much there in a while, but you know, when more stuff starts going on, I'm sure I'll be writing again. So that's yeah, that's that's it for me. <laughs> okay, with that, let's uh, move on to the news segment. Um, so every week we'll do we'll round up a few stories that interest us and talk about like what's kind of happening in the anime industry and uh, anything anime related, maybe some video game news and stuff. So I've rounded up a few stories together, some of which interest me, and then we got a big one at the end that we're gonna probably going to talk about for a bit. Uh, for now, it's probably going to be mostly me talking, so without further ado, anyway, um, we have here in the wake of COVID, it seems like, it looks like Anime Expo might be canceling again. Um, from ANN, uh, LA Tourism and Convention Board lists Anime Expo is having a virtual event over the July 4th holiday. So, um, as we know, Anime Expo usually is over July 4th. It's uh, big, the biggest anime convention in the U.S. and is usually located in the L.A. Convention Center um, that weekend. And they usually get some of the best guests. I've been there multiple times for their Love Live concerts. Um, and uh, unfortunately, last year they had to cancel. And uh, it looks like they might be doing the same thing again this year. So... Uh, yeah, LA, LAX, that's, uh, I mean, uh, that's all, AX is always, like, one of the better, uh, expos. I, I, I've never gone to that one, but it's always, they always have interesting guests, like you said. Oh, yeah, yeah, because that's, that is the convention. I mean, it's, it's in California, so it's close to Japan, well, as close to Japan as you can get, let's all say. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, uh. So, like, all the guests, you know, it's not like they have to fly all the way across the country <laughs> if, they, if they were in New York. So, um, yeah, it's a lot easier for them to get there. Um, plus, there's already, like, a huge Japanese presence in L.A. Um, that's where, like, Japantown... Um, is it called Japantown? Yes, it is called Japantown. It's Little Tokyo in San Francisco. Japantown's in San Francisco. Uh, Little Tokyo's in L.A., yeah. I'm mixing them up. Yeah. I've been to Little Tokyo. It's, aw it's awesome, by the way. Yes, I have been there, too. It's really cool. Um, I went to the museum, actually. It was very nice. Um, what was I going... Oh, yeah, I... I had a question about this. Do, have you been? Did you watch any of the uh, virtual uh, cons, or you really didn't get into that? Actually, I did. Uh, I did a lot of them last year. Uh, most of the cons that I normally would go to had a, an online event. Let's call it. Um, so AX probably did one of the best ones because AX actually got like a concert going. Like, oh, wow, uh, it was called cool. Lisani at Lisani L I S A N I, which is a, it's a, usually a Japan only event where they just get a bunch of anime song singers together. Um, you get you get like idol groups, you'll get like anime song singers like Lisa and Air Aoi. You may have heard of a few of them, but um, <laughs> they uh, yeah, they just got a bunch of artists together and they put on a concert and it was an AX exclusive. It wasn't like you know, Funimation Con did, uh, which was their, which was Funimation's online con, um, their online version. They got flow, but it was really just old footage. They, they, it wasn't anything new. Uh, so yeah. AX actually got some new stuff together. So that was kind of cool that they went the extra mile. Probably paid a good penny. I, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. it was free, so that was nice. 
Um, oh wow, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah. like if if any of the virtual uh, cons are going to be good, it would probably be AX. I keep wanting to say LAX because the airport there. But yes, uh, I feel like AX would probably <laughs> yes. do the best. <laughs> They'd probably do one of the better uh, virtual cons. I, I do hear bad things about some of the other ones. They're kind of boring. Nothing much going on. But yeah, Funimation Con wasn't that great. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. There was one con, KuroCon. That's uh, K-U-R-O-C-O-N. Uh, this looked like kind of a. They have no like. Prov- like main con backing this was just kind of a bunch of fans went got together and put together an online con and it turned out to be really good it was actually one of the best events that they actually had two events last year uh i forget what months they were in exactly but they were like six months apart or something like that but they actually got guests um i don't think they didn't have any concerts if i recall but they did get some um any song djs or anikura djs as they're often called and uh, they had several shows uh, performed, so that was actually really cool. So yeah, KuroCon. I would look. Uh, they actually have a Twitter account. I do believe they plan on doing more events too. So check them out. Uh, there was also, uh, I think NY and Anime NYC did something online. Uh, Otakon did an online one. I didn't watch that one though. But um, uh, there was a Canadian convention. Oh man, my my memory's going. But. The, yeah, I think AX was probably among the the better ones that that they did because they got like the actual artists there. Yeah, that's so. that's cool. So I hope <laughs> that, that this that that this year's they'll, they'll do something really cool again. I'll have to pay attention to it this year because I really wasn't paying attention last year because of COVID and everything and the other cons. They were saying they really weren't good virtuals, so I was like, ah, whatever. Didn't really pay attention. But if AX, you know, if someone's gonna do a good job, I think it would be AX. So yeah, I have to keep it on my radar. Yeah. What's the story about Rent a uh, Girlfriend anime season two? Oh, yes. what, what was that one you wanted? So to do season two is just just brief mention really. Rent a Girlfriend was one of because I like my trashy anime. I'll admit I'll, I'm coming out right. <laughs> coming out right. This is the harem anime it made. You know it was mildly popular a few seasons ago. Season two is coming in 2022. They have not given any more specifics at this time. So that that's just the news on that. Um, so if you like if you like season one, you'll probably like more of that. Uh, next story that we have is also similar to the first story we have, which also takes place, another convention that takes place at the LA Convention Center, E3. Um, according to that, the LA Tourism and Convention Board has listed E3 as canceling their live event as well. So E3, the, uh, Electronic Entertainment Expo, which is also like, I don't know if it's the biggest video game convention in the world, but it is in the US at least. And, um... A lot of major announcements are usually made there, but uh, it also has been dying in recent years. So, like, I know Nintendo's pulled out of E3 for, like, at least the past three years, and they usually just show, like, Yeah, I remember when they did that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, they usually just prepare a video, but they don't actually show up to the con. Um, Last year, Sony was not even there. Actually, last year didn't happen, if, if I recall. So, I think Sony did pull out, or maybe I'm thinking two years ago, but Sony did pull out at some point... And then last year, COVID happened, so E3 was barely even a thing. I think, and also they had that scandal where they leaked like a bunch of, they actually like apparently posted a document on their website that wasn't <laughs> wasn't password protected or anything. It was like a PDF that had like the names of and addresses of all their industry guests, including a bunch of YouTubers. Oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah that was crazy. Yeah, yeah. that was some yeah. crazy shit, and they got in a lot of trouble for that. And so uh, I'm surprised they're still wow. around, but it seems they are still existing as a company. But I don't doesn't look like they're doing much this year because according to this article, they're canceling. They might be canceling. Yeah. So yeah. I guess we shall see. 
But yeah, COVID has really, uh, really uh, messed up, messed things up as far as these cons go. So, but hopefully with the vaccine, that that's going to be putting it's going to be an ending soon. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. You know, they keep saying things are getting a little better and with the vaccine and everything. Well, I mean, we were just talking earlier before we started about E3, and I, I think we said it was maybe two or three years ago. There was that really, the one thing that really stuck out to us. Uh, what was the name of the lady again? She became like a superstar uh, due to her, like, issues. She, she was talking about how she made the video game. So she did a little, like, dance and a little bow or whatever, and she became, like, Twitter's favorite. Oh, yeah, Ikumi, Naka, uh, Ikumi Nakamura. She, um... She uh, she introduced the game to Ghostwire Tokyo and became kind of a celebrity for a yes. few days. Because <laughs> ever everyone loves yeah. how she introduced. So the game. I mean, some yeah, some good things do come out of E3, and that was that was pretty cool. I, I think everyone kind of liked that. So uh, I was hoping for another thing like that. I guess twenty twenty two will be our year, maybe yeah. <laughs> for that. All right. Uh, what All other right, story so what do you want to get here? To? Um, so in, in the in the field of idols, uh, for anyone who follows this, Zombieland Saga season two uh, has revealed the theme song info, and the the season two will be premiering on April eighth. Um, so if you're into the Zombieland Saga, where you, which is basically a show about zombie idols, they they made that work somehow. Uh, I I don't have, don't ask questions. It's <laughs> anime. Um, but yes, they it's it's uh, that is coming out. It is also going to be. Season two will be will continue to be um, done by Studio Mappa, uh, so they're they're known for maybe not the best production quality, but I, I don't think that's the reason people watch Zombieland Saga. They just like it because it's funny. It's funny <laughs> as hell, and it's also got really good music. So if you like season one, then you check that out too. Um, last story that we have: Fun, Funimation got the first season of was that, it, right? Oh, sorry to cut you off, but uh, Funimation was the one that got the first season I'm of that, right? Not sure about that. Um, but, no. yes, Funimation streaming think- English dub, so I would assume they have the DVD and Blu-ray okay. rights as well. Last story that we have from ANN, at least, is the, bang- again, in the field, well, this is vaguely related to idols, but Bang Dream Girls Band Party, which, you know, you could argue whether or not that's actually an idol franchise, because there's instruments. But, this threw everyone off guard, there is the game, or at least some version of the mobile game, Bang Dream Girls Band Party, will be coming to Nintendo Switch this year. Don't know how that's going to work. Don't know if it's going to have like the same mobile infrastructure where, you know, you're basically paying for a bunch of microtransactions for, or star gems or whatever to, to do gotcha roles. I don't know if that kind of thing even exists on the Switch, but they're probably going to, what they're probably going to do is my guess is they're going to do like Project Diva or a Taiko sort of thing where here's the, it's like, here's the game for free. And if you want more songs, we'll give you like three songs for free. And if you want more, here's a bunch of DLC packs. So that's I mean, probably that's, this that sounds fair though. Yeah, and there's a lot of music, so there's going to be a lot of DLC packs. Also related to this, there is the Love Live PS4 game coming out in next month, and that's that's going to be basically the same thing. I think they're going to give you like two or three songs for free, and everything else is going to be in DLC packs. So be prepared to open your wallet if you're a fan. Uh, I know I will be. So <laughs> all right, and we have one other video game related story here. The Final Fantasy VII Remake has been announced to get a PS5 version. It's called... Integrate. Integrate. So it's called... It's called Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's called Integrate. Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate. It's going to have an enhanced graphics, some quality of life enhancements over the game, faster load times because the PS5 has the solid-state drive, so that's nice. And there will be an optional Yuffie DLC that's going to cost extra. They haven't said how much yet, but they have said that if you have the PS4 version... Of Final Fantasy VII Remake, you can port over the game and your save data 
without having to pay extra. And you get the game for free, basically. So that's pretty cool. That's that's like one thing that's probably yeah that's this really is going to cool. drive a lot of PS5 sales and and I know the game, the system's already been selling like hotcakes. This is going to drive a lot more because this is going to be probably the thing that gets me to buy a PS5 because um, I'm going to want to play that Yuffie chapter because I feel like they're going to they're going to put some pivotal plot development in there and I, I am kind of wondering how they're going to do that because in the original FF7 game Yuffie doesn't show up until much later in the plot um, well not much much later but further down. Uh, she does. She show, doesn't show up until then. Um, although they have kind of established the fact that they're going to be changing a lot of things with this remake, so I guess that this is maybe the start of that. Well, we were just talking about this, and out of out of all the new games that are coming out for the PS5, this is definitely the one that I'm really most interested in, and still can't get the PlayStation Five. Still impossible, at least for me to get. But I really, I'm really interested in this game. The graphics look just amazing. Yeah, oh, the graphics are. Right? Right? The graphics were the already graphics? amazing on PS4, and they somehow made them better. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I uh, yeah, I can't believe that. No, I was just gonna say, like, I, I thought they were amazing on the PS4 too, and then somehow they they like you just said, they just made them like amazing for the PS5. I couldn't believe that they couldn't yeah. be any better. I just like, it's, it's pretty just crazy. Wild. And um, but yeah, back to the PS5, it is it's still pretty impossible to get one unless you want to go on eBay and spend six hundred dollars. I did a search yesterday, and it's still like none of the main stores are selling it. There's like some apparently like some websites that say, oh, these are the best times to check Walmart. To this is when they're getting their shipments, and you know if you go here at the right time, you can get maybe get one at MSRP. Um, but you know what? It's probably going to be a while. This doesn't come out until June. I think they said June 10th. So we have time on that, and uh, hopefully PS5s will be more readily available by that time. Um, if not, then I will be probably waiting until I can get a PS5 before. Well, obviously, I'll be waiting until I get a PS5 before I can play this because I can't play it otherwise. So, it is what it is. Yeah, I just can't wait till I can get the PlayStation 5. It'd be amazing to get it. And then, this is definitely, like I said, one of the games I'm, I'm really most looking forward to uh, playing on it. And that, uh, the Spider-Man game, which I, I think that's also on the PS4, but I want to play the PS5 version for that one. It looked pretty cool. That is another good reason to get a PS5, is to, because that was also an excellent game. Yeah, that is probably something, I, and especially with the, the new chapter that they added. Exactly. I'm a yeah, I, hear, I hear a I lot of good things about it. Oh, Miles, Miles, yeah. So that is probably... Okay. Is that like an entirely new game, do you know, or is that just DLC? I think it is my understanding of it, and I could be wrong, is that it's just DLC. Still, I'm sure it's worth it, because that game, that game was fantastic. Yeah, it's, I think it's a lot. Yeah, I think it's a lot of DLC, and also I think they said that if you buy the special, super special edition, you can get a different suit for Spider-Man yeah. to wear on the PS5 version. So and one thing I really liked about that game is just, like, going around New York. The, the whole open-world aspect, and it's it's basically an open-world New York. And I, I live near New York City, so it was kind of like, oh, this is Penn Station. And it's like, oh, it was, it was pretty cool seeing all the landmarks there. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and you know that um, I, I live near New York, oh, yeah. too, so I can't wait to, to play that, too. That's another game that I've been, you know, I've been just waiting to play, and I was hold, holding out for the uh, PS5 version of that, so I could uh, check that stuff out. I mean, I saw people playing it on YouTube and stuff. It looked yep. really good, but... Yeah. All right. I think we have a big story that was going around Twitter. Do you want me to introduce yeah, go it? Ahead. Or do you want to introduce yeah, go right it? Ahead. All right. So there's this big story going around on on the Twitterverse, on the Twitters. Um, it was originally for, uh, a post written by the website Unseen Japan, and um, they often write about different articles, uh, things going on in Japan, or different anime things. And this article, I'll, I'll just I'll link it in the show notes, but I'll tell you when the uh, the title of the article: anime from the left and from the far far right. On um, then like the headline was like anime may be entertainment first and foremost, but art is almost always political, and uh, anime is no exception. 
Just really quickly, the article just discusses about different anime and uh, how some anime can come from anything between Marxist to fascist, and they have these different viewpoints, and they try to plot out, like, what anime is what ideology. And then, of course, once they posted this, it became the huge controversy on Twitter, where half the people are, like, saying, uh, anime is not political, what the hell are you talking about? And everything's apolitical, why are you trying to force your political beliefs on us watching anime? While the other half of the people are like, no... How could you say anime is not political? I mean, look at this. Look at this anime. It's, it's making this political point right here. And, and, you know, therefore we need to, we need to force our political beliefs into everything, every anime. We can look at it through, through a political lens. It's crazy. It's really yeah, crazy. It, it is. And, uh, and I, I, I mentioned this before. I've, I mentioned this on Twitter all the time and I'll, I'll bring it up here on the podcast as well. I feel like we have the same, maybe it's like, 10, 15 conversations every every month on Twitter, and this is this is the one that, that we're having right now is about anime and politics. Oh, this, this conversation comes up all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, I mean, my take on it, and then I, I want to hear your take on it, yeah. is that, yeah, I mean, yeah, of, of course, I don't know how anyone could ever say anime isn't political, like it doesn't have any politics, and like some people go around and say, all anime is apolitical all the time, and I'm like, those those people are dead wrong. I mean, very easily, you could, you could point to a show, uh, like uh, perhaps Speed Grapher, and you go, oh, Speed Grapher is totally about you know corruption and government, and it's and yeah, it is perhaps a like perhaps a socialist anime, and then you could look at something like Appleseed 1988, totally a right winger and Rand kind of philosophy going on behind it, and and there's so many anime that has like in world politics going on, especially the fantasy stuff, but uh, I think my problem with a lot of this, and maybe. Uh, it might be similar to yours, is sometimes people put, they look at anime from a perhaps maybe American or maybe a Western political viewpoint, and then they try to force their political opinions onto a show that it doesn't match, or maybe it had nothing to do with politics. So yes, there's definitely politics in anime, so I think if people say that there's no politics in anime, I think they're dead wrong. But also I think that, you know, sometimes people are looking at anime, I mean, this is entertainment made in Japan, for usually for Japanese people, yep. Uh, first and foremost, and then you're looking at it from a Western, you know, viewpoint, or maybe an American viewpoint, and then on top of that, you're looking at it like a Western feminist viewpoint or a Western social justice warrior viewpoint. And <laughs> I think a lot of times these shows, they're they're that's like not the point at all. And um, you're you're trying to, I mean, maybe it's fun sometimes to to like read like an old novel and look at it from like a feminist viewpoint or a Marxist viewpoint. But I think you're real. And so maybe these people are doing that with anime, but I think you're really, really missing the point with a lot of different shows. Um, and especially when people talk about gun politics in America, because there, there's a, you know, this is a while ago now, but a very famous uh, anime critic made a point about, oh, this anime is about these little girls and they're playing airsoft guns. And then therefore they're, Japan is being pro gun and, you know, getting involved in the, the gun controversy in America, where there was recently a school shooting in America, and I'm just like, but guns are outlawed in Japan, and and this is a show made in Japan, and, and so just because little kids yeah, and, have access to a gun, yeah, go ahead. And they're airsoft guns, so they're not even real guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're airsoft guns, so they're not real guns. I'm like, and they're not making a, a statement about gun politics in Connecticut or whatever, right? right. I mean, they're in Japan, probably in Tokyo, so. Uh, and my my issue with the article, and it's no no offense to the author, I don't mean any offense to him. I mean, sure, I, I'm a writer too. And but my issue with perhaps the author is he he gives examples, and some of the examples are just I don't know way out there, like craziness. Uh, he gives an example about how Cowboy Bebop 
is anti-capitalistic and is uh, depicting, uh, you know, capitalism as the root of all evil and like it's entirely Marxist and we and we need to end capitalism and, and that's the point of Cowboy Bebop or maybe that's the undercurrent of Cowboy Bebop and I mean I watched Cowboy Bebop a bunch of times but I don't see anything like that in the show and like I mentioned earlier I mean I'm a political you know, I studied political science for I don't know how many years eight years and I, I see politics and everything and I really can't see much politics in Bebop except for perhaps uh, people shouldn't be hungry. I feel that was that was kind of the point in Bebop. Like that's the only politics that I, I could see in Bebop. But what do you think about this, John? Well, I don't have the political background that you do, uh, so I'm glad that you agree with me <laughs> um, because I yeah I do agree that um, yes, yeah, some anime is political, but not all of it is. I think a lot of people are just looking for things that agree with them in shows. It's it's kind of a confirmation bias sort of thing. Um, so if they think a show is is being anti-capitalist or anti-fascist or anti-whatever, you know, they're going to be like, oh, this show is, this show's great because it's saying this, but it really isn't, you know, I mean, maybe, I, I don't know, a lot of people will argue the death of the author, you know, though the author didn't, it doesn't matter what the author thought, you know, it's only, it's what the, it's what the viewer thinks, and fine, you know what, whatever, but don't go so far as to you know, go on Twitter then and start preaching this kind of stuff. If if that's just your personal opinion, and you know, don't force it on other people. That's the part where it gets crazy, and and sometimes it gets really toxic. It's like, oh, if you don't agree with me, you're a fascist. Like, oh, come on now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, like I said, I don't have the political background that you do. Um, I am a web developer, so I I am not. I, I very barely, very hardly ever watch anime thinking, oh, this is political. You know, I've I've probably watched all of Evangelion the first at least the first time I watched it thinking oh this is just a show about robots and and God you know wanting to kill us or whatever um, but <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, but you know when I think about now that I've I've watched more anime since then I do th I do see some you know like a certain message certainly trying to be come across by in the show like okay I'll talk about a field what I'm familiar with so a show like Kaon for example is not preaching any messages. It is just a show about cute girls drinking tea and e and eating cake and sometimes playing instruments. Um, See, I think that's the perfect example right there. That that's a perfect example of an apolitical anime. There's there's no politics in that. There's no message in that except maybe have fun play play uh, guitars and fool around with your friends and eat some, you know, cookies. I mean, if there is a message in there, it's maybe like a feminism like girls can do anything sort of thing, but that's very common these days. That's not that's not really breaking any barriers. Um Maybe, like, in the same kind of field is a show like AKB0048, where the girls are idols in this in this futuristic dystopia, and I'm not making this up, by the way, this is what the show is actually about. Uh, music has been outlawed, I think all forms of entertainment have been outlawed, and the girls are basically fighting against this, this evil, repressive government by singing. And, okay. yeah, that's probably making a political statement. Um, yeah, there's probably a little politics in there about censorship, about the government telling you what you can and can't do, you know, there's definitely yeah. a little bit in there, but... And maybe even, like, on a, maybe a little bit closer to reality is a show like Wake Up Girls, where, unlike most idol... Actually, I'm, I don't know, I can't speak for Idol Master, because I haven't seen that, but unlike shows like Love Live, which is just kind of very, you know, um, I mean, there's drama in Love Live, but it's not, it doesn't really touch on serious issues... Wake Up Girls touches on serious issues on like on how the struggles that idols go through, the hiring process, the um the struggles that the studio goes through, the the ways they get exploited sometimes. Like it's it, 
you know, that is like a serious like management issues. That that's something maybe that that was making a political statement. I would say, like maybe, you know, maybe yeah, you should. yeah, per- perhaps political, definitely social, definitely social issues in that. I guess yeah. you can say brought up. Yeah, I yeah, certainly for sure. And that and like for example, that is something that is you would ar- many would argue is a big problem in Japan is is how idols are treated because a lot of times they say. You know, it's like, uh, you know, they're not allowed to have boyfriends or anything. And this isn't just idols. This Definitely. Is, this is female voice actors and actresses, too. I'm not sure about males. Exactly. But- yeah, but, I think it's know. usually about the females. So yeah, that that's a that's a definitely an issue there and a point. Usually, female actresses definitely in Japan. The voice actors, of course, and yes, all the idols. I mean, or if they do have a boyfriend, they have to keep it on the hush hush, keep it a secret. Paparazzi's always out trying to get a picture of them. Yep, like the one time I Hirano talked about her relationship. She's she's the voice actress for Haruhi Suzumiya, if you remember. She she yeah. she talked about her relationships once, and people started burning their merch. And went crazy, like harassing her and everything. But but that has been—I do think that's been dying down at least a little bit. Because a few years ago, um, Suzuko Mori, another voice actress, uh, announced that she was married, and there was some pushback, but it wasn't nearly as bad. So it wasn't really. Yeah, I think I think it is starting to be accepted. Hey, you know, maybe we should let these people have their lives. You know. <laughs> That would be nice, right? Yeah. I mean, yes, they're famous people, but let them do what they want to do. I mean, uh, yeah. And I guess that's a, that's definitely a social issue, and it's a little bit political in a way. Yeah. But uh, eh, like just getting back to the main point here, like I think that the article, maybe they have the right idea that, yes, some anime is definitely leftist and some anime is, is definitely on the right. Uh, I think they point to... What was the one that they pointed to as being a rightist, fascist uh, anime? Um, Attack on Titan. Remember the name of... Attack... Yeah, Attack on Titan, which I haven't seen, but a lot of people have drawn that into being a fascistic anime, and I don't know because I haven't seen it. I've only seen the first season, and nothing uh, nothing about it struck me as fascist. But um, it wasn't until well into the it wasn't until like around the time the third season started where people started calling it that. So I I guess I can't speak on this. <laughs> And so it's possible that maybe it develops further on and the series goes, or I, uh, it might also be that people are reading into what the author of the of the mangaka, what he had to say, and I think he said some very anti-Chinese, anti-Korean things. He's definitely pro-Japanese imperialism, but I don't know if that automatically makes the work fascist. No, no, it certainly doesn't. And I'm like, it's the same thing with Dragon Quest. Apparently the composer of Dragon Quest is, uh, is a Japanese war crime apologist, and all right, yeah, that sucks, but... The games are still good, so, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you want to yeah, give the I guy mean, shit, uh, go ahead and do it. But, you know, if you want to... Don't harass him, obviously, you know, but you can give him criticism. But don't, at the same time, it's not the game's fault. He has shitty views. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a way, you got to kind of remove, remove the art from the artist. In the middle of it. That doesn't mean, like, you ignore the artist's point of view when they're making the show. But if you find out ten years later that we find out Miyazaki, like, did something horrible, you got to... I mean, I'm not a fan of him anyway, but <laughs> if, if, you know, how do, how do you balance that, right? You know, so I think you can still enjoy the work without, you know, saying that so-and-so is a Nazi and then therefore I can't ever watch anything that he was even associated with or, like, he was even hanging out with when they were making that show. Right. And another thing about, like, politics and anime is, like, it's one thing when... A lot of people like to claim that all anime must be political and um, when people complain about people saying that, it's... A lot of people don't who say this re- don't realize is that there's a difference between in-universe politics and real-world politics. Right? So, like, obviously... 
a show maybe like Psychopaths, for example, certainly has its own in-universe politics. And if the show is preaching that, it, well, I wouldn't even call it preaching in that case. Like it's allowed to do that because it's these are these are politics that take place in that universe and are very real to the characters in that universe. What so? Yeah. When people argue that everything needs to be political, yeah, in-universe politics, fine. You want to put politics and ghosts in the shell, whatever, go ahead and do it. Don't take real-world politics, though, like like what's happening in the U.S. currently or anywhere, really, and and, and don't, like, I, I feel like that doesn't need to be in everything. If, if you want to make your show about that, fine, you're more than welcome to, but some people are arguing that that needs to be the central focus of everything that's made. And that's the, that's like, that's just crazy. I don't, I don't want, I don't want every show to tell me about how the former president, how bad the former president of the United States was. Like, I don't need to hear that. It's just, <laughs> we <Yeah>. know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's, I think the thing here is that people are, there's a huge mis- mis- misunderstanding between both of these groups of people. I mean, one group is out there saying everything is political all the time. And I mean, yeah, you could look into even Kayon and try, Kayon and try to say, oh yeah, there's some politics going on there. But again, you're looking at it from your viewpoint. You're like putting stuff into it that it is not there. But on the other end, yeah, I mean, so there's some anime definitely like Ghost in the Shell, especially uh, Ghost in the Shell, Sack, the TV show. I mean, there's so much real world politics they're referencing. And yes, they're even making viewpoints and maybe suggestions on how like we should like form our world and everything like that. And I, I think that's okay. I mean, but when you try to like force something that's happening like today and a show that was made like 15 years ago, and the thing that's happening today is happening in America, like maybe the Me Too movement or whatever. And you're forcing that onto a show that there's no, it doesn't make sense. It was never considered when they made the show. I mean, maybe it's fun, but like, I don't understand. And, and everything has to be political. I think kind of the point of the anime, you know, and, and video games and all that stuff is, is, is kind of the thing to relax and yeah, make you think, maybe even think, make, maybe think about politics, but maybe well, not like every single show has to be about uh, politics in America, like right now, when it you know it's an older show or something yeah. like that. Like and especially, some stuff is just entertainment, and especially anime, which is made in Japan for the most part, where they don't just they, they don't care so much about American politics. <laughs> so yeah. like they don't have an obligation uh, to do, talk it, about that stuff. It's like it's crazy. It, it, ex- exactly. I mean, it's made in Japan, most at least originally for Japanese audiences. I mean, why would they be super interested in American politics? I mean, yeah, some of them I'm sure are, and uh, definitely uh, Oyoishi, uh, uh, Ghost in the Shell, and yep. a few other shows. Um, you know, definitely maybe reference what's going on in America, but the vast majority, I, I don't think that, that they even consider American politics. What I mean, what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think for the most part, these anime creators they just want to tell a story. And it's a, if it has politics, it's politics that are in that universe and strictly just that. They're not going to – I mean, they might maybe throw a hint to something here and there. But for the most part, it's going to be about whatever is happening in that universe. If they, they might allude to something happening in the real world, but that's it. Like mm-hmm. it's going it's to be mm-hmm. just, just an illusion and that's it. Exactly. And I do think that there are some shows and, you know, that are, are political. Not only are they, are they political, but their goal is to push maybe their own politics. But again, you gotta look at it from the Japanese viewpoint, not an American 2021 viewpoint. Uh, you gotta look at it from when the show was made and where was it made. What are they referencing in the show? I mean, a perfect example is now and then here and there is, mm. I, I don't know if a lot of people have seen that. Have you, have you seen that one, John? Been a while, but I have seen it, yes. 
And the director has been on the record saying, this is about the Rwanda genocide. This is about dictatorship. This is about war. And, and it's definitely anti-war, anti-child soldiers. I mean, and I mean, I don't think anyone's pro children's soldiers, but yet it still (laughs) happens. So, yeah. So, and, and there's still, there's no way you could ever say that that show is not political and it's even trying to push its own politics. Maybe, maybe too forcefully, some would argue. I, I love it. I happen to think it does a great job at that, but it is definitely pushing its real world, first world politics onto, uh, you know, you and trying to change your opinion on certain things. And I think that's okay. But again, like the disconnect here is when people will watch a show and there's no politics or maybe there's some in world politics, but they're not really trying to say anything. And then they're like, they're trying to put, their own, like, political, they see everything in a political lens, and, and some stuff is, is just not political. I mean, some things are just not. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, people who are just looking for things that aren't there, and, and then taking it to the next level and being like, hey, this is what this show is saying, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. And I think that's just, that's yeah. just nuts. And that, that is the, that's the current state exactly. of the these days. <laughs> it's very toxic. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a very toxic, uh, you know, environment there, and, and, uh, one other thing I, I do want to, I mean, I hate picking on this article because I, I have nothing against the, the author. I don't really know him very well. But, I mean, I think his main point is maybe right. Yes, there's anime that's from a leftist viewpoint, from a rightist viewpoint. But then his examples are just, I'm sorry, no offense to him, but are just way out there. And I don't, I don't see it. Like Cowboy Bebop being a leftist anime. I mean, there are leftist anime out there that you could point to. As I, I think I mentioned it before, but Speed Grapher is definitely a socialist anime. A lot of the Gonzo stuff. I think you could see uh, trying to come from some socialist viewpoint and trying to push that agenda, whether you agree with it or not. I mean, whatever. And then there's, of course, Sea Control. It's totally about, you know, greed after the 2008 financial crisis and about how capitalism is bad. I mean, so if you want to point to an anime that says capitalism is bad, there are anime that say this. Right. But he he points to Bebop, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't see it at all there. Yeah, I never. when I, I watched know. Bebop, I wasn't thinking, oh, this is anti-capitalist. You know, it was just, oh, it's, yeah. it's a show about... A guy shooting stuff in space. <laughs> exactly. And I was I thought the whole point of the show was let me try to be cool. We're gonna have some cool music. Yes. We're gonna have some cool things going on. And they're always hungry and you know, dealing with his past and, and, and her past, uh Faye Valentine's past yep. as well. Yep. And then he goes to the fascist and he says attack on Titan. And I do know other people have, have pointed to it being fascistic or pro fascism or at least pro Japanese imperialism and I haven't seen it so I can't really comment. Uh, and I, I, I do think the debate on that is interesting, but there is such a better show that uh, maybe it's probably because it's old and that's why you wouldn't reference it. That is totally pro-fascist and pro-Japanese empire is The Silent Service at, by uh, Rishioki Takahishi. And he, he has a lot of, I think, pro-fascist anime where it's like he really does want to push his fascism viewpoint oh, really? on <laughs> the audience. Yeah, I haven't, yeah. I haven't, heard, and so it's not, haven't heard of it or that or yeah. that director, but oh boy. <laughs> Yeah. So I mean, and like like I said, I still think you can enjoy Silent Service and then be like like disgusted by maybe the the politics he's pushing on you. Yeah. Uh, and definitely, if you read stuff that the author writes, I mean, you would just be like, I mean, maybe people like fascism. I don't know, but you would be like like a, like a horror, like oh my god, the, the the beliefs of this guy. But I think you could still enjoy the show and like, but then you gotta really you know understand like yeah, he is he is trying to push yeah, fascism I mean, with this show. It's so. art; it should be allowed to exist and. It needs to exist so we remember how bad it is. That's that is <laughs> exactly yeah, and and uh, I I think it actually if you if you don't try to like you know think too hardly about how he's pushing fascism on you and every every scene is about how Japan should be a 
world empire again and they need to invade every other country if you don't think about that part the actual movie of silent service is actually really good um because it was turned into a, i think it was an ova actually uh but it's a very suspenseful show and you can kind of enjoy it in that way but what i'm saying is uh, the guy picked for the author of that uh that article i, I think he, he didn't pick perhaps the best examples and maybe he's trying to limit himself to very popular anime like everybody knows bebop everyone knows attack on titan but I don't know. It, it just it didn't click for me. Right. I, I think we're pretty much in agreement there. Maybe I'm a little bit more on the, you know, there's, there's some more uh, politics in, in different shows. And that might just be because I, I study politics for eight years. So I do see politics in, in oh, all yeah. places. Yeah, you have much more of a background than I do. So I'm just speaking from, from my own viewpoint. That's all. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I think we generally agree with the philosophy here. Is that, I yep. mean, watch the anime to enjoy it. Exactly. Entertainment is made to be enjoyed. Yeah, and if, and if you take some good philosophy away from it, or if you, you find the politics interesting, and you're like, oh, yeah, that changed your political viewpoint on, I don't know, whether it's guns or whatever the issue is, I mean, that's cool. You know, that's great. Uh, but, you know, sometimes uh, it's, it's not the point of the show, and it's the point of the show is just to be entertained. Yep, there we go. I think we're pretty much in agreement there. And uh, I will post the link to that article in the show notes, and I'll also post my little funny meme I keep seeing where it's like we keep talking about the same, like, 10 issues on Twitter <laughs> all the time. Yes. So, so maybe people will get a, a kick out of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Let's, yeah, let's move on to the next segment. I don't know, about, about a month ago now, me and John decided on uh, coming up with these uh, two movies we were going to watch and uh, review them and go into detail on them. Uh, we were going to review A Wind Named Amnesia, and we're going to review uh, Your Name. So probably most people are, are familiar with Your Name, and probably nobody knows what the heck a wind named amnesia is <laughs> and if that seems like a huge if that seems like a huge contrast that was intentional because uh preet here is uh much more into older anime whereas i'm into newer stuff and with, with a little bit of old uh older stuff too and i think preet is also into some newer stuff as well so what we're doing is like you know you know he picked one i i picked one i was like okay yeah we'll we'll watch we'll, i rewatched your name and he rewatched wind cold amnesia um i had actually i had already seen Called Wind Amnesia. I watched it in the anime club in my college a long time ago, but I did rewatch it because it had been so long um, and it needed to be fresh in my mind. So we both watched both movies, and here we are. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll share our opinions on them in a little bit. But I, I think uh, I'll review uh, maybe the synopsis of uh, A Wind Named Amnesia, and then we, we, can, we yes. can discuss it and talk about. Uh, the philosophy behind it, and yeah, yes, the, we're just talking about politics behind it. I do think there is some politics in it, although it's not pushing a social justice warrior viewpoint or anything like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, alright, so just the synopsis for people, and uh, I will give a spoiler warning when we get into the more spoiler-worthy parts of the film, but uh, the film uh, A Wind Named Amnesia is a 1990 anime. Uh, it was a movie. Uh, it was directed uh, by... Uh, Kaizo Yamazaki, I'm not really very familiar with his work, but uh, it's based on a, a, an old Japanese novel, an actual novel, not a uh, light novel, by Hideoki Kikuchi, who is incredibly famous for his, uh, you know, ultra-violent, ultra-sexual, ultra-horror, bloody-gory uh, novels that were then took and adapted either into an OVA or into a movie by um, Yoshiaki Kawajiri, who's famous for, of course, uh, w- Wicked City, Ninja Scroll, Vampire Hunter D, Bloodlust, those kind of movies. And so when you think of the uh, the people who were behind A Wind Named Amnesia, you, you start to think it's going to be like a, a blood fest 
uh, gore fest, uh, but actually it's nothing at all like that. It's not really a super action or horror movie. Um, so it's it's more of a philosophical, maybe a poetic kind of film. Yes, there's some action involved in it. I think it's perfect amount to keep you entertained, but it's nothing like a Wicked City or Ninja Scroll. Um, anyway, so just a little bit of synopsis about this, the show itself, the movie itself. Uh, it starts off in this middle America town. I think it's like somewhere in Montana, and we're introduced to this uh, this boy, and the wind blows. And um, he loses his memory. I think he's probably supposed to be like around 16 years old. He loses his memory. Um, but not only does he lose his memory when this wind blows, everybody loses their memory. And not only do they lose their memory, but they don't, they don't even remember what it, what, what it is to be a human. They, they forget how to, you know, even eat. They don't know how to open a can. They don't speak. know how to, of course, drive a car or, uh, or drive a plane, of course. Uh, so, and then um, it, it moves forward, and we learn that uh, this main boy, they, they rename him uh, Wataru because we don't know his real name. And he's taught some, you know, things about what it's like to be a human, and he learns how to uh, speak. And uh, he, he learns all this from a boy named Johnny uh, in a wheelchair. And, of course, classic sci-fi reason for why Johnny uh, did not forget, why, you know, everything, as everyone else had amnesia is Johnny's brain was replaced with a supercomputer or a computer or some type or a computer chip. So uh, Johnny teaches Wataru, you know, everything about, you know, being a human and how to defend himself and obviously how to eat and drive a car and be a human again. And then Johnny goes ahead and kicks the bucket. So uh, Wataru is on this uh, journey now to go around, uh, which is very interesting, uh, America, at least America of the future, and uh, just see what happened to the world, see what happened to America, and try to maybe figure out, you know, what, why this wind came and, and erased everybody's memory. And, and maybe, like, uh, get some people to uh, teach some people about what it's like to be a human and, and try to make the world a little bit of a better place. Uh, he's in, I believe he's in San Francisco in the beginning. And yes. uh, he is met by this mysterious white-haired woman named Sophia who uh, decides to go on a journey with him. And then the uh, movie just... Uh, goes to different places all over America, and uh, we get to see these different little parts. Do you have anything else to say about the synopsis, uh, John? Uh, no, I think that's. I think you described it pretty well. Um, just one thing is like uh, Wataru, the meaning behind his name, I think it means traveler. Um, so that is, he, 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 Johnny tells him his job is to travel around the world, and I guess in this movie, specifically the U.S., um, and teach people... To try to get them to relearn everything and teach people what it means to be human. I I, I really love the artwork in this, and the, I mean the animation was wasn't perfect, but the artwork is so beautiful. I don't know, and the music is amazing. Uh, what did you think about both of those? Uh, yes, actually. So one thing, one thing I noted about the game, uh, the, the game, the movie was, uh, despite being made in 1983, uh, it, I would say it has aged fairly well. It's got an old anime style, maybe that might turn off some people, but the animation's not bad. Like it's, it's actually, you know, it's pretty, pretty fluid. Even during the battle sequences, like when they're being chased by the mechs or whatever, like that's pretty cool. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty well done. Uh, the music is quite atmospheric and well done as well, I would say. Yeah, I do agree. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to correct. Uh, the, the movie was released in 1990, but the, the original book that it was based on was like 1983. 
Oh really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, otherwise, this 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 would be ama- amazing if this if this came out in 1983. That I think then the, the artwork would be amazing. But uh, yeah, even for 1990 though, I, th- I think it's it's pretty good. It's not super dated. It does have that old Madhouse manime look. So if if people know what I'm talking about, it definitely it does have that look of the old school Madhouse. But I love that look. But yeah, e- either way, it, it definitely uh, the artwork and the animation does hold up, and the music is. It's kind of charming. Um, yeah, I love that they. I love that they use the uh, Goldberg variations, and I don't know if you caught that, but like that old classical, uh, Western classical uh, song. Oh, no, uh, I didn't. Yeah, that's a song that whenever I think uh, I think it's whenever Sophia is on screen, they play the uh, Goldberg variations. They're very old uh, classical music, and the first time I heard it, I thought that they made that song up. <laughs> I didn't think that that was a real. <laughs> A real song, so you're not alone in not catching that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they, they reference and I guess they use uh, Goldberg variations a lot. But a lot of their, their music is very uh, piano-y, uh, very cool. And then they have this one song that totally sounds like um, Air Supply. So, you know, definitely like Lady style kind of um, insert song. But I love that song. It, it definitely goes with the flow there. Uh, just as a as a concept, the the synopsis that um, the, the general the general concept of the the movie, uh, I would say, I, I don't. I'm, I'm sure someone's gonna call me out on this and saying me like that. Oh yeah, this movie's done this too. But the concept of a post apocalyptic world caused by the fact that everyone just suddenly forgot everything, that's fairly unique. If I if I'm correct, yeah. right? That, can you think of yeah. any other movies or, or stories that do this? No, there's nothing I've ever heard of like that. This is a super like old school sci-fi. Like I would, I would imagine like there'd be like a Twilight Zone episode about this, but I can't think of anything like this. So you're right; it's a very unique concept. And I've heard people review this before, and they go, "Oh, unique concept, but bad execution." But I really have to disagree with that. I think it's a unique concept and brilliant execution. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of the, one of the things that really, uh, really caught my interest about the movie. It was like, oh yeah, I've never really heard of a movie like this where yeah post-apocalyptic or cyberpunk whatever you want to call it is done all the time um but never this was that never the reason for this was everyone just suddenly forgot their memory it's usually some some government launched too many nukes or aliens invaded. <laughs> you know it's, it's yeah al- aliens like invaded that, you know, and never attacked this. blew everything up yeah yeah <laughs> or uh poisonous gas killed everybody or something like that i've i've never heard of something where like everybody just forgot what it was like to be a human and i i do think that's a unique concept I, i've heard of stuff where oh there's a virus went around and everybody over the age of 14 is dead or something like that but this and is that's interesting this is because unique... everyone's still alive it's supposed to it's supposed to apocalypse the wind didn't kill anyone but it did do it did do damage you know it, yeah. did, it did it did the mental damage to everyone so yeah, so it has that classic sci-fi question, like, what would happen if everyone all of a sudden, like, had amnesia? Like, what are people going to do to survive? Like, uh, people regress, right, and go back to being, like, cavemen. Uh, I-, I remember the one scene where it's like, he doesn't even understand his own reflection. He's looking in the mirror, and he's like, what is that? And it's very animalistic. Right, you know, he ends up, ends up punching the mirror because he doesn't realize that that's himself in the mirror. Um, yeah. He basically, yeah, forgot everything, doesn't remember how to speak, doesn't remember how to read, nothing. Yeah, yeah so I, I can't think of anything anime or Western or any movie or anything that it comes close to that type of a, a, a concept. So definitely brilliant in that, yeah. in that respect. Yeah, if anyone listening wants to tell us about anything that does this sort of thing, let us know, and uh, we'd be glad to check it out. 
Yeah, definitely uh, let me know on Twitter or, or put a comment on this, because I'm always looking for something that is similar to a win named Amnesia, and so far, I have found nothing. Nothing even close. Alright, so I guess we could put a spoiler warning here. I'm going to get into more of the, the nitty-gritty of the plot of uh, a win named Amnesia. Um, I think what's important when you're watching a win named Amnesia, or if you just watched it, and you got back to this, uh, is that you, you look at it as, yes, a plot and a film, and, and you know, it, it, it's going to have some outcome to it, but also each stop along the journey, because Wataru and Sophia, they will go to many different places. I think they go to Chicago, Washington, D.C., Cleveland. Uh, they go to, like, L.A., Las Vegas, and then, of course, they go to this eternal city. I, I definitely put that in, a, in an incorrect order. That's not the order that they travel America. Yeah, I think they go to this city, the eternal city before Vegas, if I recall. Yeah, but, yeah, so I think whatever, it's, it's yeah. probably, uh, yeah, it's San Francisco first, and then L.A., and then this eternal city, and then Las Vegas, and then, like, Chicago, Cleveland, Washington, D.C., and then, like, New York City. Yeah. Um, but I think what's important is, uh, and, and they don't spend a lot of time in all the cities, but in, in some of them they do. I think it's important that, yeah, you, you look at it as a plot and a film and there's action and everything. Uh, but you also look at it each stop individually. I think they're trying to make some type of philosophical point. This is my opinion. Again, I, I, I could be wrong on this. But the way I look at this film is very similar to if anyone's ever watched Kino's Journey. Where, yeah, the plot's interesting. You know, Kino will go to this new town and she's only going to stay there for three days. But really, you, you can't look at it like a plot, like you would look at the plot of Cowboy Bebop we were just talking about earlier, or the co- plot of Dragon Ball Z, right? You look at it more of the plot is is there to be entertaining and interesting, but also there's there's a there's a I, I feel like they're just looking at philosophy 101, and they're, they're 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 telling some philosophical point, or they're trying to make some philosophical argument, um, going through like what someone in college would look through a philosophy 101 book. Uh, so in each stop is perhaps a different philosophy or a different philosophical argument. Mm-hmm. They definitely go into one of the earlier ones we could talk well, I can about. See, I can is, see that especially with the, uh, uh, the, 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 the city. What, what, what's the name of the city again? Eternal Not, City, the Eternal City. one. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely an argument to be made there. Like with, uh, well, I guess we'll get into it later, but with the, with the decision one of the characters makes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, we'll get to that one in a minute, but I guess the first one is LA. When they're in LA, um, there is the whole idea there. Um, Wataru and Sophia, they meet this girl, and she's with this guy, Little John, who's an older figure. We find out later that was probably her father. Mm-hmm. And he's protecting her against this tribe of people who want to sacrifice her to their god. And their god is a giant machine. Yeah, which the god turns out to be a giant machine, probably something like a, a crane or something. Yeah, it's like it's like a destruction machine meant to level buildings or something. So Anyway, uh, what happens is... Wataru uh, sees this happening, and uh, he d- he d- he decides that he doesn't like this idea of they're going to sacrifice this lady to a god because Wataru knows for a fact that their god doesn't exist, which is a, a very bold statement to make to, to anybody. But in, in this case, you know he's absolutely correct because it, it isn't a god. It turns out that there's this shaman, and he and he just he uses his knowledge of how to figure out how to work the crane, and uses that knowledge as power against people. So I definitely think that they're trying to make some argument here about religion, and uh, I feel that the creators here definitely are not fans of religion, and they're trying to maybe say something about uh, religion. People in religious power use their power over people to get what to manipulate them. 
That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way, but that is that is a very valid point. And then the other aspect of it is I think that they're trying to have this argument over, which is a famous political, uh, actually not political, but philosophical argument of moral relativism versus moral absolutism. So maybe people aren't familiar with that, but like moral relativism is like, you know, everything is relative. So to me and you, John, sacrificing a human being to appease a, a machine god might not be morally okay. I don't know. <laughs> but to those people, it might be fine. And uh, who am I to say that what they're doing, sacrificing this innocent lady to their machine god, how am I, who am I to say that that's wrong? That would be more relativism, and people will believe this, and they'll say, you know, perfect example, Japan has their own rules and laws, and who is America to come in there and, and you know, say that something they're doing is morally wrong? You know, they, they have their own culture and beliefs, and we have ours. That would be more relativism. And then the other side is more absolutism, where you say there are some things that are just wrong, and it doesn't matter, you know, what their beliefs are, it doesn't matter their feelings, it doesn't matter how strongly they believe in their god. If you sacrifice this woman to a fake god, even if they believe it's a real god, that is wrong, and, you know, you maybe have to, you know, stop it. At a certain You have to get involved, and you have to kind of, in a way, force your morals onto other people. And so this is a big debate people have. I mean, should we get involved with, you know, other countries? Should we, you know, get involved in these uncontacted tribes when they, if they sacrifice people? Is that right or wrong? Waterroot sides with this idea of that he should, he has to kill their god and he has to, you know, tell these people what they're doing is wrong. And so he does force his, his morals onto these other people and, at the end of the day, it does look like it was successful, although sadly the, the lady the lady dies. I think her name was Sue. Uh, but but little John, mm, yeah, um, he does become the new leader, and it does seem things are a lot better. There's no more shaman sacrificing people, so perhaps the anime is saying something about yeah, a little bit of moral absolutism is right. And again, that's something that maybe it makes you think, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't think at the end of the day, I don't know if the people learned their lesson, but maybe they did a little bit of learning. Like I mean, he probably taught them. That what they were doing was wrong, and they're, no, they're not going to revert back to their former state. Went back, you know, back when civilization existed two years ago. Yeah, um, not immediately, but this might be a start towards that. Yeah, it's a it's a slight push in the in perhaps the anime's opinion a right direction. Although some people might say, ah, it's fine that they sacrifice people. That's their own culture and beliefs. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think the Eternal City one. Uh, maybe you have a lot to say about that one. Uh, but the next stop that they make is on this place called the Internal City. In this in this city, there are these people. I I love the names, Mister Simpson and Lisa. <laughs> as soon as they said those names, I'm like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> yes. And uh, me and John were talking about this earlier. I'm pretty sure, and I don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure in the original novel, because I did read that, the novel was written in 1983, uh, they had different names. And then when it came to be an anime, my my feeling of it, my take on this is, well, 1990, what's popular? the simpsons and so the director and the screenwriter are getting together like we need american names what's more american than uh mr simpson and lisa <laughs> yeah and i checked the, the japanese wikipedia article for this movie and the names are also mr simpson and lisa in the japanese uh dub as well so it's not something they changed for the american release yeah which is always uh, annoying when they do that but yeah so uh, that was their re- probably their real the real names in the original um was mr simpson and lisa anyway yep. You, 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 I won't go into the whole detail of the, what happens in the Eternal City, but you finally figure out there's this computer that's controlling the city, and uh, Mr. Simpson and Lisa, they are normal people, you think, at first. They still have their memories, you think, but actually what turned out was the computer kind of went haywire when the wind came, and classic sci-fi reasons, oh, the computer's so smart, it's acting like <laughs> a brain, and eventually it figures things out, and it, it turned out that 
everyone went crazy after the wind came and they forgot everything and the, the computer killed a bunch of people. And now the only two people left are Mr. Simpson and Lisa. So it's making them act out like a charade, like a play of uh, what's, you know, they, they have to pretend that they're different people. So Mr. Simpson, at first, he's a doctor. And then later on, he's the mayor's assistant. And then later on, he's a janitor. And later on, he is, you know, just an old guy in the park. And Lisa, she starts off as a, nor a nurse, and then she's like uh, a mayor. And then later on, she's an old lady in the park. So they're taking on the personas of other people, and they're playing kind of like a play. So the supercomputer will have people living in the city, and it will be able to do its mission of taking care of a city, because that's like its first protocols, take care of the city, second protocol, you know, make sure no one else hurts the city, those kind of things. And... When Wataru and, and, and Sophia are there, they, 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 Lisa, the supercomputer through Lisa, asks them to stay, say that they have unlimited food, unlimited water, everything's safe, no, no cavemen here, no one's sacrificing anyone, the gods here, everything's safe and great. You just gotta listen to the computer. Sophia and Wataru both disagree, and they, and they both say that, no, this is wrong. And I, I, my takeaway from this was, they're kind of getting a little bit of like, you know, maybe I'm looking into it too much, but, Part of this is like, well, you know, the government shouldn't do everything for you because then you're not really living your life. Uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's one part of it, I think, is that they're saying, you know, yeah, the government can, you know, take care of you and protect you, but if it does everything for you and you're completely 100% taken care of by the government, you're not even in living anymore. Uh, you're just kind of existing, <laughs> kind of like a, like, very similar to the, the theme of Appleseed 1988, if anyone's seen that. That I've not seen. Maybe that'll be my next assignment. Yeah, we should, we should, we should cover that one next, but the main theme in that one was, <laughs> you know, if the government does everything for you, you're like a bird in a cage, and you're really not living anymore, you're just subs, you know, you're just existing. Uh, but also, I, I remember my first watch of this, or maybe it was my second watch on this show, I, I watched this movie a million times, I felt that a lot of the stuff in the internal city was referencing both Plato's The Republic and Aristotle's politics. Different ways of how you organize a city and who should be in control of the city and, and the, the, pol the political structure of the city. So I, I, I did see a lot of that in it those first times, but this time on my recent rewatch, I don't remember why I saw that. <laughs> so <laughs> I saw it more from the Ayn Rand perspective. Um, but what did, what did you think about, I think you had a lot to say about the Eternal City. I mean, I just thought it was interesting like how she wanted to have Lisa wanted to come along with them at first and then later realized maybe she should stay behind and was the best decision to, to make and oh God, I'm to, what, was, what was the reason she stayed behind I... uh because i think mr simpson was her friend and he and she she, she missed him and, and they did bond even though the supercomputer like put a bunch of different memories in their heads at the end of the day i think she still was kind of friends with mr simpson and he was definitely lonely without her so she ran back to him there we go yeah yep. that that's so. that scene was definitely very touching though because again i f we forgot to mention this but Sophia made a gamble with Wataru in the beginning, saying, if you can get even one person to come on your journey with us, I might be able to tell you why the wind happened. And we don't know who Sophia yes. is. We, we just assume she's a regular woman. Wait, we know there's a little something weird going on here, but she might have the answer to the question here. Yes, she does. She does mention that from the onset before they leave for their... Before they leave for L.A. Um, so for, for after that, after they leave the Eternal City, they go to Vegas... Uh, it was kind of, it was kind of nice, like seeing like what had happened to Vegas. You, you see like some of the, the famous signs from Vegas, the casinos and whatever, the hotels, um, all up in ruins. They don't really spend much time there. I think they just kind of gloss. They just kind of drive past it. Yeah, if I recall, they right? kind of drive past it. She makes a comment about how, oh, this is a place where men used to sin and stuff like that. And I, I think that mm -hmm. the machine attacks them. There's all there's always this machine that's tracing them, this mech. 
And people criticize that, but I think the mech actually makes it action-y and, and, and gives you a reason to pay attention to this. Yes, yeah, there is some good action scenes in this movie, and that is one thing that will hold your attention, if nothing else. So, the after Vegas, I think they just go go right to Washington, D.C., if I recall. Uh, yeah, I think they kind of quickly drive through, like, Chicago and Detroit, but nothing really happens there, and, and then you see some fields and stuff. Nothing in really it. happens, yeah. Yeah, so next, next, next time we see the two of them together in Washington, D.C., they're sitting at the Lincoln Memorial, and they get attacked again by another... <laughs> Their, uh, police robot, I guess, whatever you want to call it. And they basically chased all the way to New York, which is kind of... I, I thought that was a little comedic. Like, wow, this robot chased them all the way to New York from D.C.? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's one That's one hell of a chase. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I think at that point, uh, I think it's maybe a little bit of the uh, original anime people not really knowing the distance between D.C. and New York. It's possible. I mean, this, yes, yeah, they, they might not realize that. That's quite a, way, a ways away. Yeah. It's a five-hour chase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always just point to this anime because it, it's one of the very few anime, I think this one and Noir, that has a, it takes place a very little bit in New Jersey since I'm from New Jersey. And they do, uh, they're in New Jersey for like a split second before they go into uh, New York City. So I always, I always point to this anime as an anime that took place in New Jersey, if not for like a half a second. <laughs> Yep. You know, they, they get to New York, and uh, they, they part ways there, because that's where they said that they would uh, part ways. And then, Wataru says he has to destroy this mech once and for all, because uh, as they've been traveling, they, they attack it, they mess with it, it gets damaged, but it always can repair itself, or it can go to a base to get repaired. This mech, mm. by the way, was built to, like, you know, as crime was increasing. My fiancé, when she recently watched this with me... She, she made a good point. You know, the movie came out in 1990. The, the, the book was written in the 80s. I mean, that was a time when America was actually, the crime rate was really increasing, you know? Wow. Yeah, it's something I did not think about at all. But so no, no wonder why they built this mech, right? So the people making this anime, mm-hmm. they thought the future America, they're going to need these mechs to protect themselves. Police are going to need help, right? So there's this mech going around trying to chase them. So Waterers, anyway, is in New York. He's going he's gonna to finish off this mech. And he, and he does finish it off, I think, with a little help from uh, Sophia using some crazy magic <laughs> the one the one one part in this film that i feel does not fit is the, is the scene that takes place in the church <laughs> mm. Did, yes um anyway is this be, this is before or after the big reveal i think this is before yeah i think this is before the big reveal so she okay. helps him finally at the end even though they're supposed to part ways and she brings him into the church and she takes off her top and there's a beautiful uh stained glass window behind them and they just have the sexing <laughs> They have a lot of sexing, a lot of sex going on in the church. <laughs> what? I think they just put that. I don't. Do you recall I that was in the book? I don't remember all? that in the, the book, book at all. So I really think that was it. A- so it might be just like a thing they added for because that was the thing to put in movies <laughs> yes. at the time. You know, every movie had to have a sex yeah, scene. Yeah, you had to have a sex scene in an anime back then in 1990. Otherwise, it's not an anime movie. I mean, even not just anime movies. Like, even, like, you know, James Bond films. Every, yeah, everything had a sex uh, scene. Everything, uh, it, was, it was the thing that sold. Yeah. I mean, it still sells, but you don't see yeah, it as often. I think it was a way to kind of make it, like, oh, look, this is, this is definitely a mature, you know, anime movie here. This is not, you know, for kids here, this one. This Not kid stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, they have, they have their sex in a church, which, uh, I don't know, it just sounds wrong to me to have sex in a church, but okay. They have their sex... Yeah, that's a little... Uh... <laughs> they have their sex in the church. Maybe they're, maybe they're making anti- another anti-religious yeah, statement right there. I don't know if that was what they were going with that one, but maybe. Uh, 
You're right. You know, I never yeah. thought about that before. But yeah, the, the author definitely seems, I mean, the creators, they all definitely seem to have this like anti-religious viewpoint and, and to have sex in the church, I guess that's, that's yeah. as anti-religious as you can get. It's like the, it's like the big middle finger <laughs> yeah. to religion right there. I never considered that. That That's brilliant. Yeah. So anyway, they have their sex. Um, and Sophia gives the big reveal. The big reveal is that, you know, she's an alien and she's like a interpreter for the aliens or like, a, you know, try to figure out. If, if this thing that they... It turns out the aliens did this to humans. Like, we didn't know exactly why did the wind come. Uh, Johnny had some... You know, Johnny was the guy who taught Wataru, and he had some theories. He said maybe it was beings from another world, or maybe it was mankind itself. Maybe we used a weapon by accident. You know, so you had these ideas in the back of your head of what it could be. And turns out, yes, it was the aliens. And she says, like, her reasoning as to why it, why the aliens did it was because... I, I love her quote. She has a really nice quote, actually. It says, Men say that what they desire most is happiness, yet their actions continue to lead them in the other direction. I, I, mean, I mean, I really like that quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty good. That, 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 is, that is an insightful quote <laughs> uh, aliens did this uh probably because they're partly uh you know thinking about how mankind is a threat to them but also because uh supposedly they want to make man happy and then then they say well wataru you know i am telling you this because you did get lisa to come along with the journey even though she went back and uh i will tell the aliens what i saw what i saw on you and we'll see if we're gonna make humans remember everything or this is just the world you're gonna live in now goodbye wataru and he kind of walks off into the sunset, into New Jersey, which does not look anything like <laughs> the last scene, by the way. <laughs> There's, like, mountains. It looks like Arizona. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he walks back, I think, into New Jersey or something. And that's kind of how it ends. Yeah. One thing I do say about the end is that the end felt like it really completely caught me, off, caught me off guard. I felt like she just suddenly mentions, oh, hey, I'm an alien, and by the way, I did this to you. Yeah. It's like it kind of came out of nowhere. I felt. Did you feel the same? Did it feel any like rushed or forced to you? Yeah. See, the first time I watched it, it definitely felt like wow, I was not expecting that. Um, all of a sudden, too, and it does kind of end up quickly. And I think in the book, they it's teased on a little more. There's some more scenes in the book, obviously. So I do think they kind of like maybe cut that stuff out um, from when they turned it into a movie. So it does kind of seem rushed. And a lot of people will say, wow, kind of a dick move. She could have told him in the beginning, you know, uh, she was an alien. She kind of just kept it to herself the whole time. But I I think she does explain, like, she's trying to see, like, are humans good or not? Do they deserve to go back to the way they were or not? And she's learning from Wataru as he's learning from her. Yeah, and Wataru just kind of, like, accepts it. Like, you'd think he'd be mad at her. You know, be like, I... I drove you all the way across the country and you waited until now to tell me this? <laughs> yeah, you feel like he would have been like, hey, like, why didn't you mention this, I don't know, in Chicago or in LA, like, a little <laughs> earlier than you waited till now to tell me that you guys are responsible for it? But I guess her one defense is, like, she personally didn't, like, push the button, I guess. Like, she's just involved yeah. with those people. Well, either way, Wataru gets the most patient person in the world award. Yes, he, he <laughs> so. definitely does. Uh, I feel I would have been a little, a little bit madder at her. I think, I think there's a point where he's like a little annoyed, but then it's like, ah, all right, he gets over it really quickly though. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I can say is when I looked at the Wikipedia article, because uh, I wanted to see like how it was received and everything, that was one of the criticisms, criticisms of the movie. It, it did get generally favorable reviews, uh, when it came out, uh, or at least when critics saw it. But one of the things criticized was the ending. Don't know if they were referring to the sex scene or the sudden reveal at the end and how oddly handled that was, or maybe both. But yeah, the, the ending was one of the things that, that did get some criticism. But overall, I think it's a pretty good movie otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I think it's an excellent movie. It's definitely one of my favorites. It's it's definitely on like my top ten list. I, I view it as a masterpiece, this, this unforeseen, this unseen classic, perhaps. Very thought-provoking, very... 
very philosophy 101, even a little political at times. And yeah, my only criticism is the ending is a little is a little fast, but I think on my like second and third watch, I can see it. It is it is coming. Like she does do some magical stuff. Like there's a point where he drives his car off the off a off a road, and if you're paying attention, it's her that saves his life by doing some magic thing where he's floating and the car gets totally destroyed and he's fine. So there are these hints that she's an alien and, and maybe she just kind of like dumps it on him all at once. But as a viewer, so if, if you're paying attention, it is a little hinted on. So it's not as bad as as it seems at first. If you, if you rewatch it, you go, oh yeah, they were hinting at it a little bit. So, uh, but yeah, that that's my take on the film. Uh, anything else you wanted to add on the film there? No, just as I said before, uh, I think it's a pretty good film. It's it has it's a very unique concept. It's I would say it's aged fairly well. Unlike a lot of anime from the eighties, nineties, it's uh, fairly well animated. Um, maybe it's because it's a movie; it, it got more budget. But whatever, it's it looks looks pretty nice. The music's great. Um, I would definitely recommend checking it out if you want to to, to view the story for yourself. Um, I just did some research. It is on Crunchyroll and on Amazon. So if you have an account on either of those, go ahead and take a look. It's it's pretty short, like an hour and a half. So yeah, there you go. yeah, yeah. It's, I, I like I said, got get my highest recommendation. It's definitely one of my favorite films. Everyone should check it out. I do know uh, it was originally released by Central Park Media in America, and they they of course up the whole. It's by uh, Hideoki Kikuchi, and it's by uh, Yoshiaka Kawajiri, and and they do all these bloody, crazy, actiony films. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, one thing is, I think we both watched it dubbed. I did. I have not seen the uh, the Japanese dub of yeah. that movie. But I would tell you one thing. I know you won't agree with me on this, but um, the dub is kind of it's got that '90s anime dub corniness to it, mm-hmm. especially with Wataru's voice. It's very much like he's just so excited all the time, yeah. and just like, dude, you're in. It's the end of the world. <laughs> this yeah. is a very dark movie. Why are you so happy? <laughs> yeah. um, so I was, I was, that's one thing that you know, I would say. Maybe switch to the Japanese if that's gonna if that's gonna put you off. But I, I honestly I haven't seen it in Japanese, so I don't know if the Japanese dub is any better. Yeah. Um, if you want to say anything about that, I don't know. Yeah. So I mean, it, it obviously it's a very old anime. Like I said, licensed by CPM uh, Central Park Media in the '90s, and uh, it was dubbed in Manga, but by Manga UK in London uh, by one of my fa- actually one of my favorite uh, dub directors, Michael Bakewell. And yeah, I, a lot of people I think criticized the the, the actor who played uh, Wataru. He is a little. Uh, naive sounding, I think is a good word, or is, is very like. Yeah, uh, there we go. Yeah, uh, very know. anime protagonist at the time. I would yeah, say. Yeah, and, and he's always like a little curious and a little happy go lucky, and maybe you know the defense for the for the actor is well, you know, he, he did forget everything, and he is kind of like a kid now. <laughs> but it, it is it is grating, and I agree with you on that. But I really loved uh, Danica Fairman. She played Sophia, and she does an amazing job as Sophia. Maybe, like, in the beginning, she has, like, an awkward line here or there. But I loved Danica Fairman in this. I thought she did a great job. She was good. Her. Yeah. She was good, yeah. Yeah. It was re- it's really just water I think I have an issue with. Everyone else was all right. Yeah, and it's a shame <laughs> that he's the main the main guy, and he has the most lines. So, yeah, he definitely, I, I definitely see criticism of him. I, I understand maybe why he sounds that way, but it, it does get grating. And, of course... Uh, the best person ever in this film is Peter Marinker, who people maybe know from Pat Labor, the movies. Uh, he does an amazing job in Pat Labor. Like, you can't even watch the Bandai LA dub. You gotta watch the Man- Manga UK dub. Uh, he plays Mr. Simpson in this, and I know it's a very small role, but he is an amazing job in this as well as the old guy. You really 
feel for Mr. Simpson, even though he's only on, you know, for like, what, four minutes or something, and he has like three lines or something. But just in that, Peter Merricker can really make you care for the guy. So Yep. All right. So yeah, the dubs. The, I I view the dub pretty pretty good. Uh, but uh, you know, you you definitely might want to listen to the uh, Japanese if you don't like uh, the old nineteen nineties manga UK kind of dubs. Yeah, try the dub, and if after a few minutes you decided, eh, you know, I don't, maybe not so great, then uh, switch to the Japanese. Yeah. Your mileage may vary. Yeah, Disco Deck did re- release it recently on a uh, on DVD. I don't know if they put it on Blu-ray yet, but they, it, it is on uh, DVD as well. If you want to buy the uh, more recent uh, DVD, okay. You know, so I think that's about that's about it for the uh, a wind named Amnesia. Check it out on yep. Crunchyroll on Amazon, or if you want to buy the uh, the DVD from uh, Disco Deck. And we'll be right back after this commercial break. Oh, now, look, Junior, that's what divorces are for. Nonsense. You've got an old-fashioned idea. Divorce is something that lasts forever till death do us part. Why, divorce doesn't mean anything nowadays, Hildy. Just a few words mumbled over you by a judge. I've never seen a spacecraft behave like this in my whole life. Well, now, that's strange. Captain. What is it? The station is moving off course. I don't know how this could happen. Never mind. I want you to get us back on course now. Captain? That mysterious spacecraft is headed toward us. What are your orders, sir? Controller, put me through to the whole ship. Yes, sir. I have an announcement to make. Listen well, everyone. The situation is critical. We are being approached by a spacecraft of which we know nothing, but whose presence coincides with the ship veering off course inexplicably, and our transmissions are being blocked. So I declare a red state of emergency. You know what that means. Be ready for the worst, and good luck to everyone. Okay, we're back with the final segment of this episode. Uh, we're going to fast forward uh, quite a bit to 2016 and talk about Your Name. Um, so Your Name, for those who don't know, is a movie, 2016, by uh, by the famous director Makoto Shinkai. Uh, Shinkai is also known for other works, such as Five Centimeters Per Second, The Place Promise in the Early Days. What else has he done? Children Who Shares Lost Voices, to a lesser extent, but... These are all uh, pretty famous movies of his that he's done, but his most notable work by far is Your Name, and maybe Weathering With You, but I think that takes a close second to Your Name. At least that is what put his name on the radar. Uh, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> For a lot of people, so, uh, yes. Your Name... Oh yeah, definitely. And it was like, when Weathering With You came out, shortly after that, uh, everyone was like, oh, this is the guy that did Your Name, and we know he's good, so this is probably good too. Makoto Shinkai is also commonly referred to as the new Miyazaki, which is a comparison I don't really agree with because Miyazaki is, I mean, they're both, they're both excellent directors, uh, at least, at least from an objective standpoint. I know, I know you, you aren't the biggest fan of his, but, um, most people seem to, to like his movies. Um, but Miyazaki, I don't think it's a fair comparison because Miyazaki focuses a lot more on, like, fantasy worlds and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't see any, like, comparison between him and Miyazaki except that they're both supposedly highly competent directors and, I guess, very involved in their own works. But, like you said, yeah, Miyazaki focuses on the fantasy stuff and, and, you know, you could explain what, what, what Shinkai focuses on. Yeah, yeah, I mean, with Miyazaki, you got Spirited Away, you got Princess Mononoke, Howl's Moving Castle, all fantasy stuff. With Shinkai, with the exception of Children of Chase Lost voices his movies are generally take place in the real world yes they have fantasy elements 
but they all take place in the real world and are a lot more grounded in reality than Miyazaki's stuff. Yeah, and if anything, they have a little bit of sci-fi sprinkled here and there, but it's it's mostly very grounded, uh, especially five centimeters per second is just, it's just like a drama. There's no science. Yeah, there's actually not, there's nothing supernatural in five centimeters of her call. Yeah. Um, that is like the one movie that's completely grounded in reality yeah. <laughs> of his. I know... I know his other, from what I've seen, The Place Promise in Early Days definitely has some fantastical elements. Your name certainly does, Weathering with You, but... Voices of a Distant Star um, has a lot of sci-fi. I haven't seen Voices of a Distant Star. Okay, that's something I should watch. I think that's only like a half hour oh, long. Oh yeah, that, I, I think it's like yeah, I think it's like 45 minutes long. Oh, actually it's on 25 minutes, okay. It felt like 45 minutes. It's very slowly paced, but it has a lot of sci-fi, and it's very similar to his other stuff. I think that was the one, really, that, you know brought him to attention of, of a lot of people in Japan and in America that this one guy could do this entire movie. Yeah, and I would say, like, so Your Name is what put him on the map for, like, the more mainstream audience. I'm not going to say, like, non-anime fans, because I, I, you could probably walk up to any normie and be like, <laughs> they wouldn't know who Makoto Shinkai is. They may have heard of Your Name, they wouldn't know who Makoto Shinkai is. Your name made him popular among, like, casual anime fans, I would say. Like, the people who just watched the Shonen shows. I had heard of Makoto Shinkai prior to Your Name. I, I actually I had known him for five centimeters per second and Place Promised. And I know he had some... He was notable even at that time. Yes. But not nearly as notable as he was after Your Name. But anyways, let's get on to the synopsis of the movie. Uh, your name is about the, this boy and this girl, a boy named Taki, and a girl named Mitsuha. Taki lives in Tokyo, big city, and Mitsuha lives in countryside. I'm not sure, I forget the name of the actual area she lives in, but it's, it's northwest of Tokyo. But it's in a much more rural area. And all of a sudden, the two of them discover that they've, they're switching bodies. So, Ta- Taki wakes up one morning and he's inside the body of Mitsuha. And, uh, and then whenever that happens, Mitsuha will be, will, will wake up inside the body of, of Taki. And it's, it's pretty humorous at first, because the, the two of them are, can't remember, you know, don't know where they go to school. They don't go, they don't, don't know where they go to work. They don't even know their own names. It's, uh, but eventually the two of them figure out, like, a way to communicate with each other through their phones, through the notes in their phones. And there is kind of a mystery that envelops throughout the whole thing, like, What's really going on? And like, and I'm, and this is where I get into spoiler spoiler territory. So I guess if you want to, before I put the spoiler warning, uh, if you want to add anything. Okay. Yeah. So just what I, what I thought about it was, you know, a lot of people hate fan service and this does have a little bit of fan service in the beginning, but I actually found it very tasteful. The fact, you know, mm-hmm. and very funny and cute. I really love the character of the little sister that, and she's always watching when, uh, was it, uh, Taki, you know, he goes in and he, he becomes a girl and he's, he's, he's squeezing the boobs. And I, I just, I found the little sister <laughs> character hilarious. I mean, if you suddenly woke up inside the body of a girl, yeah. but that's the first thing you're going to do, right? You're gonna be- exactly. I feel like that's like the perfect like it makes perfect sense that that's what would happen the other thing is I there's this mayoral election going on in the background of course me being the political guy I found that super interesting I have to compare it to like that case closed episode uh, Moonlight Sonata probably one of the best episodes of case closed it's also about this like small town mayoral election in the background and and how is this interesting? I just I just love that stuff. I, I like that. And I guess the other thing I would I would say is the body switching part. That part really at first I was like, uh oh. Like I feel like body switching was like done to death. But no no no. Shinkai being Shinkai. Yeah, this is not Freaky Friday. This is not Freaky Friday, by the way. Yeah, this is this is very yeah. different. Shinkai being Shinkai, <laughs> he has an incredibly unique take on this, and he really pulled it through. At first, I was like, oh no, 
We got the body switch, to, uh, you know, uh, meme again, but no, no, trope, uh, trope again, but no, no, he, he does an excellent job with it. Incredibly unique take on that, because I feel I was done a million times, but of course, Shinkai, he, he pulls it through here on this one. Yeah, and this is where, so, spoiler warning, I'll put it right here, so go ahead and stop listening if you want to watch the movie for yourself. I know it's, Funimation has a license to it, so you can grab the Blu-ray, I'm pretty sure it's on their website. So the real twist, what makes this different from any other body switching story out there is that they soon discover uh, what happens is one day the switching stops. So Taki wakes up, realizes that he's no longer switching with Mitsuha, and he wonders why this is. So he does a bunch of research. You know, he, ha- he still has the memories of when they were switching. A lot of his phone messages have disappeared, so that's weird. But he still remembers, like, he has, some, he has, these, he has these visions of, like, locations that he saw when he was Mitsuha. And he starts drawing these locations and everything. And he does some research... Finds out that they were, this whole time, they were three years separated. And Mitsuha actually died in an accident. Basically, a comet strike struck her village and killed thousands, fell 500 people in, in an accident where the comet struck. Now, and he talking, now he thinks back, you know, he remembers, oh, yes, that was, there was a comet. So yeah, they, this, they discovered that three years separated. And that's, that's the real twist of this whole thing. And so he puts, puts his memories together. Does his research with the help of his friends, co-workers. They, they help him out. He goes to the location where Mitsuha lived and sees the whole, the whole area is deserted now. Uh, it's, there's, there's ruins. The, there is a big crater where the town once stood. It is now filled with water. And he is like, wow, this, this really happened. And he realizes at some point that he's, he's got to do something about this. So he goes to the shrine where where it's like ah, what, what what is the word that that the grandma uses? It's like the threads that bind us together. I forget what I forget what what word it is. Musubi Musubi. Yeah, because of you know I'm just gonna say it's anime magic because that's really what it is. It's basically he goes to this shrine and with through the Musubi or whatever. Uh, well, he ends up getting knocked out first of all. He he slips on a rock and knocks 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 himself out, and then because of that he's able to now. Go back to the time in Mitsuha's body. Go back to the day when her life ended. And this is like his last chance to make everything right. He does everything he can. He tries to, you know, he tries to warn her dad uh, because he is the... Yeah, he's the mayor. Mayor, I guess. But yeah, he's the mayor. He doesn't believe her. Nobody believes her except a few of her friends. So she gets a few of her friends together. They do everything they can, and they do manage, you know, I'm not going to go into too much into details and how they do that and everything, but they do manage to evacuate the town, and and they survive. And five years later, the two of them see each other in Tokyo, and that's it. They they see each other, and they meet. And you're just led to believe from there that they start yeah, something. That, that I, I think a relationship would start there. I, I know I glossed over quite a bit there, so I'll just go kind of go into more de- in-depth, like, how I really... Mm-hmm felt during this whole thing so like this this is a really emotional movie like and i think it's between the music which is by rad rad wimps very good band by the way between the music the gorgeous background design and just like the whole atmosphere is it is just really you're really you're gonna be feeling things through the like the entire film Yes, it's a very it's a very emotional film. I have uh, students, and some of my students tell me, "Oh, it's a very emotional uh, film, and uh, you might need a tissue for this one." And I've I've talked to people on Twitter about this film, and they're like, "I know this guy. He never watches anime. He put this anime on to like appease his child or whatever, and he watched the film, and then he was crying, and he's laughing, and he's crying again with this film, and and is a person who never even watched anime before in his life. So it's definitely an emotional film." 
Uh, I don't know if it'd be an emotional roller coaster like the person on Twitter uh, told me, but it's definitely an emotional film, and it does hit you. I would, I would say so certainly. Well, the thing is, it's it's different when you when you're watching it a second and maybe subsequent uh-huh. times because you already know what's how it happens, and that makes that that makes it even more emotional. Because okay. like just seeing the town that Mitsuha lives in and knowing what's going to happen to it, like that's that's like oh, shit, you know, knowing when when they write their names in their hand, knowing what. What Taki actually writes on Mitsuha's hand near the end. Yeah, I think there's a weight to that. When, when he writes, when he writes, when he writes, "I love you" on her hand, like that's whole. It's like, oh my god, uh, of the emotional impact. Yeah. So when you're rewatching that, you have those things in your mind, and you're like, oh boy, yeah, that's what he actually wrote. Yeah, and that's one of the the biggest like thing is when is is that moment when Taki writes, "I love you" on her hand. And so he's, they're supposed to write their names on each other's hands so they remember, but instead of that, he he writes, "I love you," and when that is revealed a few minutes later. It's like, oh my god. that That's just like, that hits so hard. Yeah, I think the, re- the reason they have to write their names is because they're slowly forgetting each other. They're slowly forgetting even their names. Uh, the body switching is stopping. So they want to write each other's names on their hands after they, they just kind of save the town and everything. And they don't want to forget each other. And there's always these hints, you know, that, oh, my grandma went through the same thing. And she can't even remember what the guy looked like or, or what his name was. And I don't want to forget that. So let's write each other's names on it. And they call that the... The magic hour, that twilight hour when the sun is going down, and I do feel that 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 is yeah. a very touching scene in the, in the entire movie. It's a very, yeah. very, very emotional scene right there. Yeah, when the two of them like finally see yes. each other, with, are able to see each other because because the musubi are intertwined, and because it's it's the half half light or magic hour, whatever whatever you want to call it. Yes, that's that that, and then later on, like you said, when they when he, when she, when he finds out the name, what was written on the hand was was I love you instead. I don't know why, but I was I, I was led to believe that the film would have a sad ending because everyone kept saying there was a lot of people crying. So I was actually uh, ecstatic that it has a, 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 I guess, a happy ending, a good ending. It is certainly a happy ending, but you're still exactly. crying. <laughs> I guess it's a happy yeah. crying. Um, but yeah, it is. It is. It's one of those films that's yeah. It's 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 got got its sad moments, but it does have a good ending. But you're still crying. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I appreciated the ending. Uh, Finally, yeah. it's a happy one from Shinkai because he has so many downer endings. So I really like that. Yeah, chil- I remember children. Children, she has lost voices had a, a pretty, pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty um, downer ending. I'd yeah. say five centimeters per second is so it's so melancholy. It's so depressing. The ending. Oh, yeah. uh, I think a place promised in her early days has a sad ending. Voices of a distant star, I believe, has a sad ending. So it, it's nice to see Shinkai have a, a do a happy ending. You know. And it yep. was definitely something that I wasn't wasn't expecting. I guess maybe because I was partly led to believe that this is a sad movie, so we'll have a sad ending. But also, I think Kai always does sad endings. So I was like, uh oh, this is we're, we're gonna we're gonna go down to the comics, gonna kill everybody or something, or, or even worse is gonna happen. But th- th- I felt the happy ending was earned. I I I, I thought that it worked. My my fiance felt because yep. uh, I, I did watch it with her and and she's not really that into anime so she doesn't really even know who the heck Shinkai is but she thought that like it built up so much it's building up so much and then all of a sudden it was just too easily ended and the problems just were like fixed and everything went away and it was just happy ending but I, I think maybe I appreciate it more because I know Shinkai never does stuff like that and to see him do one like this I I love the ending yeah definitely yeah this this was. Um... It was different from his previous works in a way. I don't know if it was the higher production value or just the different setting because this one took place in Tokyo, whereas uh, the other ones took place in a more of a countryside or even sometimes a fantasy setting. But th- this one definitely felt different than his other mm-hmm. works. I don't know. I don't know if it's the it was the tone perhaps was different because there's a lot of 
happy, smiling, jokey things going on, and none of that in 5 centimeters per second, none of that in Voices of a Distant Star, um, his earlier works. I mean, I guess there was some of that in the in the film where he tries to do Miyazaki. What, what film was that one? Uh, that was Children's Choose Lost Voices. Even in the Garden of Words, uh, I don't remember... Like, a lot of happy, oh, yeah. lucky, funny stuff going on. That's something I gotta rewatch. I've only seen that once, but I remember being Yeah, really that was good. really good, too, but I don't remember any, like, oh, you know, boob-holding or, or any, like, funny jokes <laughs> going on in that film. No, no, I don't don't think so. I mean, yeah, this definitely has some lighthearted comedy. Uh, your name uh, has some, some very nice lighthearted comedy, especially with the two of them just adjusting to each other, like, again, like, talking, not know, not even knowing where he works, and when he asks his friend, his friends, uh, where do I work? His friends are just like, huh? Look at him like he's crazy, and then when he, he is in Mitsuo's body, as like, oh, where's the school? Like, where, where am I going? Like, that kind of stuff is so mm-hmm. hilarious to me. I, I worked out very well. It, it's yep. like, someone, you would think that you're, that they're a crazy person is like what do, you, what do you mean you don't know the school that you go to that you've been going to for like i don't know five years now you have no idea where that is what are you crazy what happened yeah <laughs> yeah and, and and her and her sister ends up thinking she's crazy too it's, it's just like and she wakes she like opens the door and, oh you're not touching your boobs this morning i go. love that stuff i mean and and, and I, I didn't know shinkai had it in him to do that kind of lighthearted comedy stuff and he does it with class and it, it didn't feel forced it didn't feel faked it, it felt real i would compare the mood to this the feeling to this film to the girl who up through time but as told by shinkai you know it has that kind of happy-go-lucky funny comedy yeah. stuff and then oh my god serious things towards the end yeah yeah definitely uh because girl up through time does have that that kind of lighthearted comedy in it as well but it's also a very serious story so yes i would say that's probably what i what i'm th- what i mean when like i say this felt different this felt more like a girl who left through time which is not by shinkai it's by Mamoru hosoda but it had more of that feel than any of his previous works. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Yeah, obviously I know that's not by uh, that's not by Shinkai, but I feel like I don't know if he was going for that type of an emotional feeling, but definitely different from his other works, and not in a bad way either, because uh, d- d- different in a, in a very positive way. So after I was done watching this, I think that this might be one of my favorites from him, if not my favorite, either this one or five centimeters per second. It's just a masterpiece, I think. This film was brilliant. Maybe it doesn't do anything completely new. Although the body swapping with the time mm. travel thing was entirely unique. I never heard that before. Yeah, I think that was, that is pretty unique. Like, body swapping has been done to death before. But the, the time travel mechanic plus the emotional... Every, oh, the emotional overhead throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the love story that's that's building. The way the two of them care for each other. And the way Taki just goes out of his way to... to to save this girl and and also save the town, really get the town evacuated before the comet strikes. That is just yeah, you, you don't see that kind of stuff in anything yeah else. yeah and and it, and it's done well and it's executed well. And like I said, I, I've there's so many anime and probably people will disagree with me with this, but where where perhaps something like Full Metal Alchemist, where it's like they just try to force humor into it and it's just not natural. And I mean, you could take your pick. You maybe don't maybe like Full Metal Alchemist, but pick another anime where they're constantly trying to just force a happy-go-lucky scene because they just dealt with something dramatic or dark or or deep, and they're just trying to you know make it so it's not a melancholy, depressing film. Uh, but this does not feel like that at all. It feels natural. It feels like it's taken from like real life, but you know a little humorous. So I, I loved it. I, I thought the tone was perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing I, I want I want to talk about is the animation, the artwork. Um, I think Shinkai is like in another world now. If you look at his stuff like five centimeters per second and uh, Voice of Promise in our early days and all, all those things, 
it definitely looks like um, you could tell that he made it on a computer. Like, it's not traditional animation. It's not traditional artwork. But this one, I mean, really, he fools me. I, 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 most of the scenes I'm looking yeah. at, I'm like, this is not traditionally animated? This is done on a computer? Yeah, some of the scenes, like, even when they're just panning the camera across Mitsuo's bedroom or whatever, you it's like, this... You can't tell if it's CG. It probably is CG, but it's so, it looks so good. It, you can't really tell. And the shots of, like, just the animated sh- closes. Like, there's, there's one scene where the camera pans. I don't know if it panning is the right word, but it moves all the way from, uh, Taki's apartment and then kind of zooms to where Mitsuha lives. It's, it's like maybe 10 seconds long, but it's like, that is amazing. So amazingly done. And like, you, you, it looks real. Like you see, it looks 3d. It looks like it's there, but it's, it's, it's all, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it, it's all really, it looks so good. It's, it's, it's in his trademark style with the, I don't know, watercolor is the right word. Lots of clouds. I know that's one thing, one of his trademarks, yes. but it just looks yeah, so, so good. It looks like a, a Shinkai film, but it also looks like a Shinkai film that was done with like traditional animation and like, a, and a, you know, a huge budget and it doesn't look digital at all. Yeah, I know that all this stuff huge is made on, on a computer digitally made. It's not like a traditional animation film. Yeah. So I, I, I think he's, he's in a new universe here with, with the way that this looks. Not that like five centimeters per second looks bad or, or anything like that, but this it just looks so different but good. Yeah, if, if you thought five centimeters per second looked good, this this will blow your world. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the only <laughs> negative thing, I mean, I, I, I mean, not negative, but the only thing that I could think about with this is, you know, it's, it's not only him anymore. And I mean, I, that was going to be, that was going to happen eventually anyway. I mean, like when he did like Voice Promise in her only days, and, like, uh, through the other earlier films, I mean, it was just him. Like, he was, you know, he was the guy behind it. Like, uh, Voices of a Distant Star and The Place Promise in the Early Days, those types of films, it was it was pretty much just him. Like, he, he did the whole thing. And he even did voice acting, I, I believe, on those films. And even the She and Her Cat, which I never saw that one, but he did the voice acting, the animation, the directing, the writing, uh, the, even even some of the, the music and the producing. He was involved in all of that. Uh, and obviously, when we when we get all the way down to your name, he he's not really doing all that. I mean, he's still animating, you know, he's directing it, and I'm sure he's writing it too. But he, he's not. It's not 100% him anymore, which would be impossible. But uh, it, it's still it, it's still his baby, though. Um, I guess I guess what I can say is he came from a, a, a an, an amateur, and now he is like a a master filmmaker with his own studio and people working for him and and completing his his ideas. You know, putting it into reality. Yep, yep. He's uh, that was that must have been his dream from the start. I would, I would guess, and you know, he started small, and now he's made yeah. it big, and good for him. I mean, as long as he keeps making good stuff, I will be more than happy to yeah. support him. I mean, like I said, there's only one film from him that was just kind of okay, and even that wasn't that bad. So I, I always eager to see more from Makoto Shinkai, and I definitely feel like in this podcast we can review some of his other works, like uh, Weathering with You, and hopefully uh, Five Centimeters Per Second, and maybe some of his older stuff too. Yeah, I don't know if uh, I don't know if I want to throw Weathering at You just yet. I got to think okay. about that one, but maybe for the next episode we can talk about that. Maybe something else. I don't know. <laughs> but Weathering with You is also really, really good. I don't wouldn't say. Actually, I don't know. I don't know if it's better than Your Name. I still haven't decided on that because it's it's different, but it's also really good. But more on that whenever we get yeah. to it. <laughs> All right, I guess uh, cl- closing thoughts. Anything my, else? My, only, my only closing thoughts on this is I'm having a very difficult time picking between is your name my favorite now or is five centimeters per second? And just because they're so different, five centimeters per second is so realistic, so mm-hmm. you know, just like I feel like this probably happened either to him or someone he knows. Versus uh, your name, it's got the cool science fiction a- uh, aspect to 
it, and I really like the happy-go-lucky comedic elements, especially early on, and they feel so, so real. And just the, the messages and the themes behind it. I, I, I love it. So I, I love both films. Um, maybe, I guess you could say that the theme of, like, destiny and people being connected by the Red Ribbon and all that is it, maybe it's not unique, but I, I loved it. So, I mean, there's nothing bad there. And the, the dub was good, too. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's some far-fetched stuff in the movie, for sure. There's some stuff that's just not unique, but it's it's just so well done. It's, it's like, we're, people willing, I'm certainly willing, and most people seem to be willing to give it all oh, a pass. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, because it's just such a beautiful film overall. Yeah. I, obviously, uh, maybe for the people who are interested in dub works, uh, the main character, uh, Taki, was, was played by Michael Sinicholas, if people, you know know him the guy who owns nyav post so he a lot of times he casts himself in the lead ah. uh, but i think he did a really good job in the lead and then stephanie shea played uh mitsua and i love her in this she did a great job in this too very good um and you know for people who are interested if you do buy the uh blu-ray by funimation they have a very interesting uh, interview by shinkai where he talks about you know about his creating of the film and also i what i like what i thought was very interesting in this was he said this is kind of his first film where he's not really taking anything from his real life and he's just kind of creating. He said all his other films, even the fantasy stuff, he's taking something from his real life, whether it's something he experienced or something he dealt with or something he knows about and he put it in the film. Well, this one is just him. He wanted to write a, uh, uh, he wanted to write a story. He wanted to write a movie and he came up with all these different things. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, any other uh, thoughts on uh, that film? Uh, no, I think we've about wrapped it up and uh, so unless you have anything to say, I think we can... Uh into this episode just want to say uh i think everyone needs to check out your name as well as you guys know i'm more into the older stuff but i loved your name i think i have no criticism of it at all and i think everyone needs to definitely give it a watch although i feel a lot of people have but if you're like me and you've been sitting on it and waiting and waiting to watch <laughs> it now's the time to get get it and watch it it is as good as people say it is yes absolutely all right so i guess that call that's about a wrap right there all right that's a wrap and uh we'll be back next time with well whatever we decide You'll have to wait and see. Look forward to it, and we'll see we'll you next see time. See you next time, guys. Uh, precast over and out.